0: Hello, and welcome to the Reinventing Education Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan O'Leary. I'll be joined later by my co host, Rob McLeod, for a very interesting discussion with Mihai Banalescu. Apologies to any Romanians for my pronunciation of the name. Mihai is a really interesting chap. He's currently running a program called One Room, One World Schoolhouses to try to build a community of self directed schools. We spoke to him as he was living a somewhat nomadic life, moving around and trying to do what he does best, which is to connect people through the medium of education. And uh, you'll hear us delve into many different topics in our discussion, not least of all, how someone brings together groups of people who might be moving towards that more integral stage, or what we call the developmental stage of school, and uh, how to bring very diverse, opinions and mindsets together to build an education system that might take us forward. So, enjoy.
1: So, Mihai, first of all, introductions. This is Brendan, co-host of the Reinventing Education podcast. Hello. voice sounds very familiar.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I watched a bunch of your videos this week as well. So um, it's like we're old friends already. Well, you, Rob said you're the master of starting conversations. I usually just sit in silence until the other person cracks and starts talking.
2: That's a much higher spiritual attainment, actually. (laughs) Anyone anyone can talk about education, but who can actually sit silently about education?
0: Well, I thought the online meeting, the idea of a weekly dropping was super cool. I was kind of interested in where you're going with that and how it ties into the stuff on your website, like one room, one world schoolhouse. I think you got the beginnings of a manifesto there. Could you give us a few details, especially on this idea of the one room, one world schoolhouse?
2: I find myself especially delighted whenever I have to answer a question with,
0: I don't really know. <laughs> like,
2: and, and it feels like, it feels like a small win having been, Educated to predict and control the shit out of everything. So I think with Oros uh, last October, as I was nomading around Vermont, a new friend basically said, "Hey, would you like to start an unschooling school in my barn?" Thought about it. I was like, "Yeah, but maybe not one school, maybe a hundred schools." And just the idea of Oros was born. And I just kind of sat with it for a while until I got more committed to it a few months ago. I really do want to make a real difference for for families and kids. So so starting schools seems to be the, the thing to do. And then as part of that investigating what type of school I always thought I'd kind of start with a Sudbury school model and go from there but who knows maybe somebody else has has figured out a better way to school so I'm actually really intrigued by the by the Swiss integral school that Rob has told me about I'm open to new, to new models but I'm kind of in a research phase of like okay so what you know while also looking at logistics what kind of schools would I open to just going to the Aero conference recently kind of connected me to a bunch of other people who are really passionate about education so now what I'm kind of doing is just meeting awesome people who are also interested in education and a lot of times it's like hey i'm i don't have my own project well kind of do but i have some time can i help you with anything so one of the the main of those people being karima kila from the genius school so it seems like she's already kind of doing a lot of that i had so i'm we're still kind of building rapport and figuring out a way that can i help her with her new school directors you know the specific needs she has so oros might be evolving towards more of an umbrella network work? How did the video calls and Meet Asheville fit into it? It was just a really strong calling to start one when I met Dan Rudolph. We met at a Buddhist monastery in Vermont and we met online afterwards and it was such an easy click. And he had already helped to organize a large online conference with Ecoversities called Reimagining Education. And A lot of the people who come on Mondays have heard about it through him, which is why they're from South Africa and India and you know Latin America. I think the biggest thing that I can do, and this is what Kareem must as is I'm kind of a pollinator. Like I love to dabble in ideas and relationships and help connect people with either other people with the ideas that they didn't even know they were looking for. And at some point I may I may go back to starting brick and mortar schools, but who knows? Hope I answered your yeah, question.
0: It's, yeah, no, that's great. So the the idea initially of the unschool in the barn has kind of become more of a like an abstract concept and an umbrella. And do you envision there being like literally a hundred of these schools dotted around like the genius school seems i watched a couple of your vids as i said it seems a really cool idea is this kind of you're imagining these little bubbles or pockets all around the states or around the world
2: yeah so i guess i guess you got to start with either one room or one world right and i think i'm starting with one world because it it became really clear to me that i don't want to start just one school it's actually kind of ironic because i'm i'm in the middle of a of an interview process with a, a school from maine that's been run by parents for 50 years and now is looking to hire their first director as they're transitioning from parent run to parent supported. So in my best part of my interview I was like Do you guys want to be the leader of New England schools community. I think if they're looking for a slightly bigger vision that can encompass mine and it makes it makes sense for me to work there if not kind of doesn't because I want to go to I want to meet people I want to support in such a way and that seems more important than starting the next brick and mortar school right at this moment. There is part of me that has has a very specific vision for a school which, which is close to nature, which, where all the teachers have a daily spiritual practice and and receive either therapy or spiritual direction, and where where we actually have a side business that helps pay the bills for the school, like a Airbnb or whatever. So that all that I would love to explore, whether it's on my own or whether it's helping to improve Karima's vision or someone else's or the school in Maine's, like I'm flexible.
1: Karima and I had a great conversation just on Friday, and we're both very enthusiastic. Enthusiastic to have a conversation and record something for the podcast coming up, not as a spoiler for that, but just since we've mentioned the idea of genius schools a few times. And for anyone listening who's not familiar with that, could you give us the kind of elevator pitch or a a one or two minute overview of what are some of those core principles so far that you've seen at play in the genius schools? What has you enthused to support that kind of a vision?
2: Yeah, my draw is primarily to Karima and her energy. And then it makes sense that the genius school seems like a really intelligent and pragmatic reimagining of schools that starts with the somewhere between a Sudbury school and an ALC agile learning center plus with her own ideas with, uh, with the five pillars so I guess it is the five pillars that really attract me especially the second one is know thy source which is actually how do you know how to get back to neutral when you're when you're struggling and the fifth one is use your genius to serve your community it seems really important some of my teaching stops kind of noticed the lower the socioeconomics uh, class of the students the less was asked of them which seems to me kind of ironic because because then how does the community get better? What's the point of you being the first generation in your family to go to college? You're actually then just joining the rat race, contributing to the country's GNP while not doing anything for your neighborhood. So that's those are the things that I love about Karima. Her energy, I want there to be a movement. I would love for her to be the front woman where I'm happy to do to do work on the back end because I think she would be really compelling to a variety of people.
1: Yeah, she's definitely like a heart-centered compelling and authentic person like as soon as you meet her it's like oh yeah you can tell this person has integrity and has a legit vision and is coming from like a very a very big hearted yet clear and direct kind of place so one of the things that i wanted to touch in and one of the reasons like that i've or complimented about you to brendan was you're one of the first people that i've seen in this kind of progressive post progressive education circle that's coming at it with a focus on culture Connection, community, as you said, you know, being a pollinator. And I don't know if you see it that way, but for myself, you know, when I talk with Brendan, we're often talking about systems or practices. You know, when we're talking about other people, there's, you know, it's sort of like, well, what do we do now? What's this approach? What's that approach? And the thing that I found really fascinating about the weekly calls, you know, just the connections I've had with you so far, you're the one who's bringing the, for me, a big blind spot, that piece to the table of like, oh, you're not alone. (laughs) Like, there are literally people all over the world doing, mm mm-hmm similar or really cool things or things that would really complement the thing that you're up to. And I'm partly saying this facetiously, but like, you probably have like the post progressive Rolodex that is like the missing piece of the puzzle that you're the common point of connection between so many people out there who are trying to do interesting things in education. And I'm curious, do you see it that way? And if so, what are some of the like challenges or victories or whatever you want to call them in that community building space?
2: Yeah, for First of all you wouldn't be the first integralist to have a bit of a blind spot in the lower left quadrant <laughs> Inter- interpersonal and yeah i guess i am a community builder first and foremost and you know, i've done it with with blues dancing with connection games with ideas it's interesting because i do love ideas and truth as well in fact both the good the beautiful and the true like it's more about more about the truth than the than the good but community is really important to me i think it's both pragmatic i think that our best chance to move forward and make lasting change is through community and this is maybe because i've been reading emergent strategy by adrian marie brown for for a while now and every once in a while i flip it open and it's like here's why it's important to be vulnerable like here's how creativity can only happen if, if we have this kind of relationship to each other this community is finicky right like i'm planning a conference in in early october and i still don't know if people who have already said yes i'm definitely in will still be in you know, i'm i'm half expecting like half the people who say they're into a community to just leave at any moment, right? So, taking everything with a grain of salt. But there's definitely community in the moment. I guess I might even focus more on quality of connection. Over community, which is also something I've learned in my nomadic life over the last fifteen months, which is I don't know if I have community. I've definitely come across a few friends who, you know, my heart rejoices when I when our paths cross again a few times a year. But what I do have is the ability to generate connection that feels really good in the moment. Now ideally it's in person with people, but I guess I can strive for that over Zoom as well. Fed good days and not quite as good days on, on the weekly calls, but I think we're learning more and more how to have uh, those intimate conversations. Uh, One of the things is if we have a presenter, have them go last, try to go to groups of three whenever possible uh, and be more explicit about, hey, we're here to build strong, intimate connections. And I guess the thing from emergent Strategies is like the strength of the connections between us is what's gonna create a rich environment from which will emerge any social change. I, I just trust that kind of intuitively, in a way, it's it's it is the opposite of predicting control.
1: And I think there's a bridge there. You mentioned, you know, you value the truth out of, you know, the good, the true and the beautiful the most. But from what I've seen in the weekly calls, I've attended dialectic dialogue, you do have that principle set in place to ensure that that's what's happening within the moment. I wonder, could you just describe that as a dialogue technique for a moment? Sure. But first of all, I laugh or smile gently at ensure
2: to request or to uh, try to facilitate. So dialogic dialogue is actually goes really well with the integral practice of circling that uh, and authentic relating that I've been deeply involved with for 11 years, which is are you willing to be changed and impacted by the conversation you're having the difference being that circling is kind of the focus the inner world of one person as the three of us might dive in like what's what's it like to be robbed like really like sad like what does sad mean to you and what does it mean to me what those are the kind of the conversations of circling dialogic dialogue the the way that it makes sense to me is circling an idea so actually like taking the same kind of vulnerable approach to death what does does it mean be in touch with death and as i I'm saying that, I'm actually not going through my, my list of already existing ideas about death, but I'm actually willing to to say, first of all, what's alive for me in this moment, and then to really listen to what each of you would, might say about death, and learn something new. It, it, it seems almost too trite to just say, learn something new. It's not about that. It's, a, it's actually about having an I-thou relationship, being in a space where there's almost like a pre-existing relationship, a little bit of, uh, of namaste, you know, between us, and when I actually relax and surrender into that space, there is a deeper kind of knowing can arise out of it. And that knowing is often really surprising so in a sense it's not even a conversation between me and rob it's a conversation between my small self which i need to connect to with intellect because that small self is going to do things in the world and the larger self that we all share i've never quite articulated that way that seems to make sense
0: yeah with a lot of progressive education that idea of dialogue is at the center right transformative dialogue if you look at it you mentioned carl rogers and i think john gatto popped up a couple of times in your conversations so Inside the classrooms that you envisage, your learning spaces, or whatever within your your vision for the, the one room kind of schoolhouses, what does what does the education look like? What forms does it take? What values kind of underpin it?
2: A great question. This is where again I, I sheepishly should, should say, "Well, like I guess I'm an educator, but the last time I was in the classroom is in 2003. So, so what the hell do I know? You know? So that's why I would start with things I've read. Like the Sudbury model is amazing. You know? So that relationship, you know, there's they have an article with some vignettes. And One vignette is these two five-year-olds talk to uh, um, Hannah Greenberg, who's one of the founders. So one of the five-year-olds is like, Hannah, you're my favorite teacher. And the other five-year-old says, not mine. I like Joe better. And Hannah is just geeking out on how awesome it is that a five-year-old can actually just tell her, you're not my favorite, you know? So there's definitely a give and take. Maybe actually even some of that same I-thou relationship that can actually be shared between adults and children as well. And I'm not sure if I-thou is straight to most people like basically briefly like martin buber says that we start the world either from an I-it complex word or an I-thou complex world. And, and the key thing is that the I in I-it is really different from the I in I-thou. In I-it, it's kind of a cold, mechanical, transactional uh, world, which is, you know, sometimes you just have to go go to Starbucks and get a coffee. You're probably not, not necessarily going to have I-thou relationship with your barista, but it's not necessarily wrong, but there's something that's available with I-thou relationships, which is, besides feeling good, it also connects us to this deeper knowing that i was speaking of a lot of it so what my my mentor brenda who's who ran a Sudbury school for 18 years keeps saying is how much she learned from the kids how there was another five-year-old apparently the genius age is five years old who went to her and said like when you get angry i'm scared (laughs) and brenda had to kind of like learn and readjust how she was you know from the gift of that five-year-old actually talking back so i guess what's the relationship like is the opposite of the broadcasting relationship that we have maybe that's too much of a of a strawman argument for what happens in classrooms and i know you you two are both teachers and i'm sure you don't do just broadcasting right but there's some so much broadcasting kind of built in to the structure of the school whereas what i'm looking for is like how can i listen like and i'm not it's not like i'm actually great at listening and i'm like my whole life i've been much more much more of a talker It's, it's perhaps becoming obvious. Stuff, but actually like listening way more and then from there contributing it's actually maybe the model that I'm actually using I've been receiving spiritual direction from a couple of people and I find spiritual direction to be so so different from life coaching and it's really really humble And it's really kind of deep and sometimes it's fearless and like putting a mirror in front of me, almost matter of fact and simple. So maybe I imagine that that kind of a relationship with between teachers and children, which is why I really love the teachers at the schools that I imagine to have, to have that rich inner spiritual life that you can be there and you can kind of like be with this young person's soul and see what it needs. From a place where I, the teacher, am fully alive, happy with myself, connected to God, and from that place, like, I would trust myself to just just be with kids and whatever way feels right in the moment, which is, again, is the Carl Rogers approach of just be congruent, bring unconditional positive
1: regard. I'm really... Interested. I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit. I find there's often uh, concerns pop up from people when the word spiritual gets thrown around in an educational context. Most often, because people have a handful of really bad examples of religious education that have produced fundamentalists or horribly abusive stories and these sorts of things. In general, in the circles you're with, when you mention a spiritual component, which obviously is not something I've seen in any national curriculum document from the like 28 countries or so's. (laughs) <laughs> that I've looked through curriculum documents from. I haven't seen spiritual show up outside of like a, a history curriculum when talking about specific events. Bringing in this idea of spirituality, I guess, first of all, defining terms is important. So I'm just putting myself in the shoes of anyone listening to this and being like, well, spiritual can mean anything from like just something bigger than yourself to like total woohoo to like total dogma. When you're discussing spirituality and education, what's sort of your definition of it? And what do you see as some of the gifts it can bring to education that its absence is creating problems. Again, when you say that
2: it's important to define things like, be like, is it? (laughs) Like, maybe it is. I guess if we're going to have conversations, it it can be useful. I think I alternate between wanting to just hide the whole spirituality thing and, and just be like, whatever we'll just be silent now and just to reclaim it like why do religious fundamentalists get to claim religion like that's not cool like how does one deal with people's trauma especially when you haven't met those people yet i think a lot of times basics of starting community some somebody once asked me like so how do you start community i was like okay how do i start well i try to be a really loud version of who i really am and after all the people who don't like that run away i invite the rest to join me so i think polarizing people you know i'm not trying to save everyone and create a school that's good for everyone i'm trying i just i just want to have a model I want to create something that works and that is sustainable in both financially and i guess purpose-wise speaking about spirituality is um, important and how do i speak about it it's i'm still learning but it's it's probably kind of like a koan where it doesn't really matter what i say it matters like where i say it from and that's also why i really love high bandwidth media like video conference if possible because I'm sure that it comes across a lot more in something like this than if I were to write it Or who knows, maybe some people are really good writers. But for me, speaking my truth, I think has more of a chance to actually transmit the thing that I mean by spirituality, which again, maybe goes back to, is it important to define it? I don't
1: know. What if I, what if I transmit it instead of defining it? Does that work? That works. It also points to something that a good friend of mine, Lenny, who Brendan knows well, um, he often says, which is just our culture in general lacks much spiritual intelligence. We don't have a lot of spiritual skills in the culture. So hence, we can misconstrue what people mean and and those sorts of things. So I just wanted to check in with you on that. You've mentioned in passing the conference once or twice now, you and I were starting to discuss it a little bit the other day when we had a call together. I'm curious if you could share like sort of some of the visions of this, because we'll, this episode will come out before the conference, not necessarily using it as like a, a sales pitch, but the things you were discussing and the challenges that you were facing trying to present what you wanted to present were interesting because I haven't heard them from other conference presenters at this point. Because I know you said you were leery of even using the word conferences that that implies y- yeah the kind of download traditional dumping or the idea that you come to it to get something specific, these sorts of things.
2: Yeah. So I'm pretty sure I'm not going to call it a conference anymore. Actually, Rob McNamara kind of you know, reminded me of the integral spiritual experience that Diane Hamilton was running, which is like experience. It's like, it's not a retreat. It's not a conference. It's something different and something that you probably haven't experienced before is what that communicates. So I think I'm kind of in the process of completely rethinking what I, what I was going to do. I think I was, I was just sort of trusting that, eh, let's, just get, let's just get the right people in the room and see what happens. And a lot of it because I've just finished reading The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, which is an amazing book. She really challenges people to not just be the chill host is basically kind of the green meme i mean for better and worse right that it's great to just make sure that people are comfortable and just welcome everyone's point of view which is like no actually like take leadership as a host and, and go create an experience because that's what people are kind of coming to you for i was like okay well how would i create a, a memorable experience for the people who are coming i trust that uh actually doing that is more aligned with my gifts and who I who I really am and I, I can't say a lot, a lot about it other than it will require more of myself and of participants that's for sure I'll have to take more risks I'm excited to do that I would love to do that by actually sitting down with my uh, with my partner Dan Rudolph who just went into a, a vision quest in Vermont so he won't be available for a week or so um, so until then I'm kind of left with this, uh, sweet task of trying to promote something that I don't know exactly what it is, you know, <laughs> but maybe that's not so bad. Actually, maybe that in and of itself will attract the right kind of people, right? It's the way, um, you know you you talk about the three kinds of relationships for the three value systems of of uh, uh, master apprentice coach, Olympic coach, Olympic athlete, and counselor client. And when I actually checked in with Rob McNamara, kind of kind of deep integralist about the about how he handles things with his clients, he's like, yeah, but there's another one for me where, we just don't even really know how to solve the problem. And we just sit with it together for a while and just trust that something will happen that creates values. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's like a, a deeper, a deeper cut in an unconference perhaps is where we really don't know. I'll keep having conversations with people who are interesting and like, yeah, what, what would be, what would be the thing? Very vague answer, you know, but I've been, I've been learning to enjoy vagueness a lot more. It's a very specific vagueness though, you know, specific questions. That's something else that Karima says uh, you have to you have to uh, marry the problem and date the solution, so I'm going to marry the problem of how to put together a good conference and date several solutions.
0: You use the word "codiwompling on your website. Is that your word?
2: Yes um, no I, I I got it from a friend who was coaching me at the time. So it is it is a thing. I was actually just watching a, video, a YouTube video of a, a woman, a woman, a coach who's uh, who's been doing it. You can actually Google Kari Wampe, and you'll see a few things. Basically, from unpredicting your life to traveling purposefully but without a set destination. So it starts with not knowing where I'm going to sleep tonight, which I don't. But it it goes. Beyond that too, like, am I willing to just live in the world and not um, beyond predict and control?
0: Could you tell me a little bit about your nomadic, your current nomadic journey and how it maybe fits into some of the other things we're talking about?
2: Yeah. And the the funny thing is that I can, I have, I have a day to share that wasn't so great. You know, yesterday, last night, I, I just stayed in some parking lot and my puppy is very active. So yeah, last night it was too hot So it was too hot to have the windows closed. And with the windows open, I was... Bitten by mosquitoes and such, something fierce, and so I had I sprayed myself with bug spray. I don't know, like ten different times throughout the night as I was waking up, and got like maybe less than half the time actually got sleep. And then I wake up in the morning, and it's like, oh, and things are great, you know. So I guess a lot of the caddiwalking life for me has just been getting comfortable with discomfort, and because that's the case, I have so much more freedom and choice, and a lot of it is also deciding where to go next. So. I was really comfortable in Asheville. I was just making a lot of friends. Asheville, North Carolina, I feels like my new home, which is why I'm having the conference there. But I felt really called to see a friend in Virginia and now to possibly go towards Maine. And along the way, I learned about this intentional Quaker intentional village in New York, which is where I'm headed to this morning. I'm going to go sit in Quaker worship and then meet these people who are building an intentional community. So I'm just going to check it out. Who knows? Maybe I end up moving there. Maybe I start start a school for them in the future. So I've gotten better and better over time at actually just listening to myself and, and to where I should go next. And a lot of times I'm just... I first... Get to the place where I'm ready to leave the place I am. And then I'll be like, okay, am I driving north, west, or south? Hmm. And I always have multiple options that's on the people and the places that are calling me. I think it, maybe it does go back to that to the same thing of going beyond predict and control in my own life, which somehow magically does work with this idea of how can we have education that goes beyond predict um, and control? It actually not just goes beyond, but it includes and transcends. Uh, predict and control
0: yeah does it does anything or does all of what you're doing translate into the quote-unquote classroom of your school vision
2: yeah i you know one of the ways that my that uh vision that you probably read in the manifesto is changing is I'm not sure that I would use the word schools anymore. The school I'm that's been around for fifty years as an actual school in Maine, they just changed to being a learning center, the agile learning centers. So, like I don't know, school learning center, is it a classroom? Is a classroom just the, the open sky? Yeah. So I guess what I'm doing is translating to the questioning of the existing contexts. Of school, classroom, what is education? That was a good a good conversation we had last week about, uh, you know, should the education be mandatory? I don't know. What do you mean by education? <laughs> yeah. The, so the, like, I think education is something that's more, mm. more uh, rigid and goes along with the with the existing systems. Right? But in our very first Monday talk, there was this amazing guy from South Africa, he talked about how for, to him, it was about spirituality. It says education and learning and breath and spirit are all the same thing to him.
0: There's an idea of what color is your parachute? Is that something you're pursuing? I just saw a few little hints of something very interesting. What is that kind of project? The book,
2: What Color Is Your Parachute for um, for alternative schools? maybe it's a it's a book that's collaboratively written and you know a lot of it depends on who i come across who's gathering people as i just keep talking right and people like i notice where people resonate if they resonate strongly enough to actually want to put in some work we can start meeting specifically about that topic and we definitely haven't you know with with the school's tour we're a little bit closer i'm a little closer to having a team and starting to meet about it with a book I just know that there's strong resonance with Matt Barnes, who I who I met recently as well, and he actually brought brought in the idea of a community-written book. Um, so that's where that project is at. Yeah. So sometimes I sometimes I do wonder. I feel almost feel a little guilt, like oh maybe I should be putting in more work on that, but <laughs> but I guess it, it, I have surrendered some of my uh, some of my control about when and when and how these projects get. Um, get brought to fruition
0: it's kind of nature isn't it of having several projects on the go they're just gonna some are just gonna run away and some will just sit on the back burner for a, a few years i'm a musician and i just finished an album that i started 20 years ago <laughs> so uh you know some things take time Rob, we've jumped
1: around to a few different things community spirituality nomadism is nomadism a word being nomadic um like i I'm playing yeah yeah. Are there any other things that we haven't touched on, Mihai, that you'd like to discuss? Maybe the
2: journey that I'm on is becoming less militant about my right way of starting a school. I guess that's another way that my vision has, has been modified. Part of it by talking to Karima, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, so I want schools close to nature where where staff is kind of new monastics. And she's like, well, I'm talking to, you know, Black families from inner city Philadelphia and Atlanta, you know they're probably going to want something different and that combined with zach sign's keynote where he's really like we need to make sure that as we're creating the new thing we don't recreate the, the thing that was bad about the current system which is the overstandardization of things right so now the current system also overstandardizes people but i think also the the overstandardization of schools it, is one of the issues so what do you have to still have in common in order to call yourself an alliance of schools you know and maybe even that's the difference in the network or alliance and a community i think part of community a huge part of community is diversity right so it's maybe like we start some schools where we you know all the staff meditate together for an hour a day And then the other schools that doesn't comes to visit us, and then they learn about that, and we learn about whatever's important to them. I guess that's part of it um, with both staff and students kind of interchanging ideas. There's value in richness of multiple perspectives. So I'm constantly, like I hold that value. I have been since I realized that circling was actually an integral practice, but I can always use better practice in that and more applied integral fundamentalist values
1: it's always difficult obviously a fool's game to try to predict the future but i've heard similar things from so many people now that my money is on the idea that the future of schools or learning centers whatever we wish to call them is going to basically be a movement that doesn't look the same wherever it shows up. So the chat Kareem and I had, I said, I I have a feeling that any two genius schools, if you were to walk around inside of them, might not look anything like each other, but they're both genius schools. They wouldn't necessarily have to have the exact same practices. They wouldn't necessarily have to do things in a certain way. Rather, the next movement will be something like responding to the communities, the environments that the children and the families are in and creating the educational experience, if you want to call it that, that serves them. And that's the core guiding principle. And then how that looks can be dramatically different from one school to the next. But that's the common thread. Yeah. And then you run into juicy, juicy questions such as I had a, my, my best friend from
2: Romania from childhood just posted on Facebook when I shared my vision. And he he sent me this series of like searing, like amazingly like pointed questions. And one of them was like, so you say you want to serve the community. What if the community has prejudice built in? To it, you know, like what a great question. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> how do we? It's a, It's almost like that. What's the prime directive in Star Trek, right? Like, <laughs> do not, do not mess with a, with a culture that you encounter that's that's not as developed as you as you are. And at the same time, how can it? How can they be part of like if they're a racist? How can they be part of our collective? I don't know. Uncomfortable conversations, open colon like. You know, way, ways of being with each other, dialogic dialogue, but then they have to actually accept dialogic dialogue as a value, which is still, maybe it's possible. Maybe maybe the world is evolving more towards that.
0: I guess the, the question that I'm going to throw in here with two minutes left is probably ill-advised, but what are the barriers that are stopping us from moving in the direction that you're kind of proposing and the idea that underpins the genius schools and the one world kind of idea?
2: Um, lack of enlightenment, basically. I think if everyone, if everyone can just uh,
0: just receive,
2: basically, I mean, I mean, I'm joking, but not exactly. You know, it's it's the inner life. You know, it's we're the ones who are stopping ourselves. You know, actually, it'd be really easy. I like how John Taylor says that it would, it would cost so little to provide an amazing education for every American child that it'll never happen because everyone has it's such a huge jobs project and everyone has so much financial interest in things staying there the way they are. That's why it's kind of like, well, what do I, what can I do? It's, it's working on my own inner, like how terrible would it be if I started a bunch of schools, but I wasn't (laughs) being in my own inner life, you know? And I think that probably still happens where there's, you know, there's a lot of people who are starting things and, you know, education groups, et cetera. And I, some of them I resonate with and trust where they're coming from on the inside. Some of them I don't, how can we toward each other and actually listening to our inner teacher like the quakers say not being out of touch with that inner teacher which generally does come when you have a little bit of spaciousness in your life when you're hanging around nature when you go to some kind of church or spiritual direction i think those are all things that can help us find that part inside of us that will then guide us Maybe the second thing is what Zach Stein talks about, like the thirteenth social miracles, like Dead Jubilee, things like that, that will actually make it easier for parents to be more involved in their in their children's learning. So kind of the social the social background that makes it possible, because it's really hard to make change when you're working two jobs and so on.
0: Well, thank you very much for that conversation. Really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. I will reflect on it and see what changes.
2: If you yes, I, is there a way that either of you have been changed by this
1: conversation? We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I like that you are embodying the not knowing part, you know, especially even in an interview. There's typically the thing of you ask a question and most people have a fully fleshed out answer. But I like that <laughs> vulnerability of not knowing some things, still sorting some things out. I almost just want to rip the audio from this for your conference and use that as the advertisement because I've never heard an advertisement where it's not clear trying to be as crystal clear as humanly possible it's 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 refreshing to hear some of this i wouldn't have time for it from everybody all the time always but it's refreshing to have this brought in as a balance of like no no some of this stuff isn't sorted out yet i'm i'm appreciating that from this call
2: yeah and for me it was when i you know playfully questioned like do you need to define things and i actually went to transmitting like oh that that felt like my job is to transmit things you know and and it feels like I like I've actually done a decent job of that on this on this call.
1: I know that it's late Japan time, Mihai. I know you said you are a morning person, but I'm sorry after a night of mosquitoes that you had to hop in here. <laughs> <laughs> right after that, that's perfect. And it's now prime. Go get out and play in between the rain and Belgium time with my son. He's up from his nap. So sounds good.
2: It's been a, it's been a pleasure to meet you, Brendan, and
1: what a what a lovely conversation. What a yeah, good dialogue.
0: Thank you very much. Take care. I right, hope to speak to you again.
1: Chat with both of you soon. See ya. Good night and good day.